Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. To maintain the posture, I'm going to start off with a verse from Philippians 4, um, verses 4 through 7. And I will be reading primarily, if not only, from the ESV, English Standard Version. Philippians 4, verse 4, continuing through 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I hope you heard something already. <laughs> Again, good morning. Um, thank you for joining us today. My name is Robert Flowers. You may know me by other names. I am here at the Way City Church in obedience to a call. Um, who will I send? Send me. I'll go, is, is kind of how I ended up here. If you want more details, feel free to follow up with me. Um, and, and I've had the privilege of being here and learning and growing from, I think I can honestly say, each one of you, <laughs> um, including you, Curtis and Sophia. Um, and, and it's a privilege, again, to, to carry the word to acknowledge again the power of the word and that we are all able to do what God has called us to do. To speak, if it be at this pulpit or this declared pulpit, to speak in our workplace, to speak on social media, we all have a voice and each one of our voices has been gifted to us by God that he's given us the gifts for the equipping of the saints, anyone who claims Christ as their Lord, anyone who is a part of the church is gifted to do his work in the capacity or in the office that he has called you to. And for that reason, I'm standing here. Again, we're reading from Philippians 4, um, and our focus will be primarily on... Um, Verse 7, and I'm going to read it again just to recap. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And again, um, in case it's not obvious, I'm a little uncomfortable standing here before you because <laughs> um, you guys are hearing every word coming out of my mouth. Um, and, and I claim that this is the word of God, and those are intimidating things, and I think they kind of should be. Um, and so to take a little bit of this attention off of me, I'm going to direct the question toward you. It's an easy one, I promise. How many of you enjoy travel? 
Few hands, few not up. Going to ask another question. How many of you actually enjoy travel and not the arrival at your destination and the exploration of your destination? Not so much the journey in between. We are in Thanksgiving season, approaching Christmas and New Year's, and there's a lot of travel involved. Um, for me, I'm in a place of transition. I'm about to, to leave this area um, in preparation for leaving to another area. Um, a number of flights involved with that. Um, and, and generally, I, I've come to learn how to enjoy the journey, bringing books and pencils, pens, um, tiredness, sleep on the way, um, and not, not think about it. But again, for your sake, we're going to think about it a little bit. Um, if you think about just a general trip to the airport, um, some of you might take a train or a bus, um, running the risk of that train not being at the platform on time, the bus running late. Uh, many of you prefer an Uber, maybe, uh, with the hope of it not getting stuck in traffic. Um, when I was a little bit more immature, I would be looking at the price of that Uber um, and considering how long I was in that Uber was relative to the price they were charging me to be in that Uber. Some of you may choose to drive and park your car at the airport, hoping that nobody damages it, hoping that, again, you're not thinking about the price of paying for your car to remain at the airport. And then, we got to get through security. <laughs> TSA agents. People who maybe haven't traveled before, or at least don't seem to know that they've traveled before and forget that they have to take off their shoes in going through security. They forgot that they had to take off their belt. They forgot that there was something metal that was going to set off the detector in their pocket. Um, and, and you have a flight to catch. And, and you don't want to be rude and nasty, but you have a flight to catch. You hope the TSA agent's in a good mood. Um, we skip and we eventually arrive at our gate. And now we're waiting on the plane and hoping that plane's not delayed. Because I've seen a number of delayed planes, especially when flying standby or Space A, whether in the military or some other uh, circumstance. And then we get on the plane, and we are worried about our leg room. We're worried about the person who came in 10 minutes after we've been seated on our aisle seat, and now they have to cross over us to get to the window. Or maybe they're at the window and like, hey, do you mind if I sit at the aisle? I want to be closer to my friend, or I, I don't like the blind. What, whatever the case may be, um, we're growing uncomfortable, and we're growing anxious and I just want to get there. And then later on in the flight you might experience a little bit of turbulence and, and a couple rows ahead, depending on how close you're sitting, you, you hear somebody snoring and that's disturbing you. Um, and, and then you look a little bit closer though and, and I don't know if you want to be upset or envious that maybe you wish you could take a nap or maybe they're disturbing you and now you can't read your book or listen to your music because their snoring is that loud and then if you look a little bit closer, you recognize their shoulder boards with the little gold bars on it, and you're like, wait a second, that's the pilot. Anxiety, <laughs> anxiety, if, 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 if that was the case. And that might be a little bit extreme. It, it might have happened before, I, I don't know. Um, but those, those are, I think, the realities of, of travel. And again, I don't spend much time thinking about those because I'd rather not be anxious. Um, but, but again, that doesn't change. What I'm thinking about does not affect the reality of, of what's going on. It affects my mood, my standing in that, that circumstance. Um, and I, I share that, again, the, the goal is peace, that 
if, if that pilot or whoever on the plane is able to, to rest, and I'm not suggesting that we be neglectful of our responsibilities and our duties, that pilot should be awake and flying the plane, unless maybe there's a co-pilot sitting beside them, I don't know. Um, but that we can have peace, um, that we can be at rest, that we can acknowledge that there's a mess around us and there will always be, as long as we are in this earth, a mess around us. Um, we'll, we'll visit those a little bit later, but there's always gonna be some sort of trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. My peace I leave with you, and I, that peace allows us to rest. Um, and we're on the topic of rest because I'm inviting you into a series that the Lord has been leading me through, um, and I hope you guys don't mind a little bit of re-gifting. Um, this is his word for, for us. Um, and, and again, as we think about the world around us already, or, or the upcoming weeks in our holidays and travels and preparations, there's bound to be invitation to anxiety. Not obligation to it, but there will be pressures. There are pressures. Um, all right, and so again, our goal in today's, I guess, sermon is to arrive at the rest of God, to remain in his peace and enjoy there his rest. And I'm going to present to you in this text the ways I've identified to get there, our, our route, our means of transportation. Um, I'm going to lay them before you and then we will dig them out of the text. So again, our goal is knowing rest. If we want to give this a topic, we'll call it knowing rest. Um, and that rest being in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Um, and the ways to get there presented in this passage are to know God, to make our gentleness known, and to make our requests known. And those words aren't explicitly used, so we will return again to the text. First step, or first part of the process, first stop on the journey, rejoice in the Lord, make Know God, um, and, and knowing God is, is how we rejoice. That the reason we rejoice, despite the world around us, is because we know God. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice means to delight. It means to be glad. It means to take joy in. It means to celebrate, clap your hands, smile. Be happy. <laughs> um, and, and this is not based on whether you feel happy, whether you feel delightful, fine and dandy, peachy, whatever you might want to call it. It's not based on your feeling, but it helps you to get to the feeling. And I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but <laughs> in, in that very verse he says, Again, I will say, and I like to imagine that it's there because we are bound to forget to rejoice, or we are, again, invited into anxiety as we 
are confronted with a pressure or somebody's attitude or bad news, after we have just finished deciding to rejoice, it's like, ah, but again I say, rejoice. It says rejoice always in the Lord. And, and again, the question is always, but how about? And then we hang out our list of, of pressures and our justified reasons to be unhappy, our justified reasons to be upset with someone, our justified reasons to throw a tantrum, adults involved. <laughs> going to look again at, at, at the Lord, it says rejoice in the Lord, and simple question for many of us in the room is, is who is the Lord? And again, our objective here is to know God, to know the Lord. Uh, Romans 10, verse 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's grounds for rejoicing. I am happy that Jesus is Lord. I am happy that because he's Lord, I am saved. What am I saved from? The wages of sin is death. My paycheck for doing something that offended God, for doing something that disrespected or disbelieved God, for doing something he said not to do, is death. Because he said so. Why does that matter? Because he's Lord. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He runs the show. In the beginning, God, the Lord, created heavens and the earth. And then later on, he made man. Why rejoice? Because Jesus is Lord. Uh, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to take a trip to Ephesians. Ephesians 3? No, sorry. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 3, to look at some of the reasons in the Lord that we have to rejoice, to celebrate. Ephesians one, verse 3, I was at 3, sorry. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who has made us happy, who has given us gifts, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, even as he chose us in him, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love another reason to rejoice he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in the Lord in him the Lord we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness 
again, forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, our wrongdoing, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord, and again I say, rejoice. And I'm reminding you always, because this is not circumstantial, it's not based on what's happening, it's not based again on how we feel, it's not based on how the person in front of us, next to us, beside us feels, it's based on the unchanging truth that in the Lord, who is unchanging, who is remaining, who remains sovereign, no matter who the president is, no matter who the king is, has blessed us in him, in the ways that we just looked at. And there are plenty more, but we've got a few minutes. A little bit of news about, or information about Philippians, um, that this passage we're reading, Philippians 4, 7, 6, 4 through 7, excuse me, is not is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who we heard from last week in his letter to the Corinthians. Um, he's writing to a church in Philippi. He's writing this letter from prison. And so he is not in denial, nor any stranger, to the realities of pressures, of discomfort, of suffering. Yet he says to rejoice. And he says it after having said that he's already rejoicing. Philippians 1, verse 1 through 2, it says, Paul and Timothy of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, it's Paul writing this letter. He has his companion, his disciple with him, Timothy. And he says, grace to you, peace from God our Father, from prison. <laughs> And, and this word grace is the same word related to rejoicing. He's inviting them again at the very beginning, the outset of this letter, to rejoice. If we move down to verse 12 in chapter 1, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's not, that is verse 12 to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the, the whole imperial guard and to all of the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And I believe he writes that with some enthusiasm. He's strangely celebrating that he's in prison, but he celebrates that because it's for Christ and because that's no secret that the people who are guarding him, who have him in prison, know that this guy is in prison because he refuses not to speak about the truth, the unchanging truth that he's rejoicing in of Christ to people who don't accept it, who don't want to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. But he's advancing the good news, or his imprisonment is advancing the good news. His circumstance is advancing the good news, and he rejoices in that. And again, a little bit more about the letter is that this is pretty much a thank you letter. Uh, he just received a gift um, to, to help care for him while in prison from the church at Philippi. And he's writing out to let them know how he's doing and says, thank you for your gift. Rejoice. 
Um, again, chapter 1, verse 18. If I can find it. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Second time. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's aware of his destination. Again, some of us might not enjoy the journey, but we enjoy the destination. It helps while you're en route, dealing with the person kicking your chair behind you, that you're going somewhere, <laughs> that you're on your way somewhere, that the, the flight is not the end of it. We're on our way to somewhere better, somewhere with room and space and peace. And the objective of this journey today is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that allows us to rest. Jumping down to verse 26, same chapter. Again, reminding you that Paul was not in denial of the pressures, of the reasons that other people might be disgruntled. Verse 26 says, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. I think that's the wrong verse. But rejoice nonetheless. We might find it later. <laughs> I'm jumping back to verse 17. Sorry, bear with me. Hope you have it in your text. It says, The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Verse 18, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but then with full courage, now as always, will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Paul makes in, in this chapter the point that his joy is in faith, that his joy is not in denial, but his joy is in belief of what God has already promised him. That he is not stuck on the plane. He is aware that his ticket has a destination stamped on it. That he's not flying aimlessly, he's not just dealing with it for the sake of dealing with it, but he's going somewhere to rest and peace. That faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. In other words, words borrowed from Tony Evans, faith is acting like what God said is true, because it is. In my own understanding, faith is 
receiving God's hand as he introduces himself, offering you his grace. He says, hi, I'm God. Know the Lord and rejoice. I'm God. And, and as he extends his hand in grace, our faith reaches out, accepts it, and walks in accordance with everything that he's just promised us. Jesus said at the end of his time on earth, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And our faith says, Roger that, Lord, all authority is in your hands and you've just sent me to go and do the work. In faith, I will act like what you just said is true because it is. Again, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. And when he says, again, I will say rejoice, that's maybe the fifth, the sixth, maybe the seventh time that he says it in this letter of four, chap of four chapters. Then he says it again in, in verse 10, a couple verses down later, that says, I rejoice. And again, he says again because we can't afford to forget. Because if we forget, we might become anxious. If we forget, we might live like Jesus is not Lord. We might yield to the pressures of this world that don't have our best interest in mind. So I tell you, don't forget. I tell myself, don't forget. Rather remember and remind each other, the person next to you, Hebrews 3, 13, I believe, somewhere in Hebrews 3. Encourage each other, as long as it's still called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Have you ever felt the hardness of anger, the inability to relax because someone else has upset you, the someone else that's a couple rows ahead enjoying their video game and eating their snacks, maybe sipping their wine, that they are having a good time, and because they did something to you, that you've allowed to impact you, you refuse or are unable to be at ease. You're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, the deceitfulness that convinces you that sin, this temporary option, is better than where you're going regardless of the journey that you have to go on. Sin doesn't shortcut the journey. <laughs> it delays the journey. If you think about the Israelites who were on their way to the promised land where they were going to rest, they got deceived, they got hardened. Moses, who's bringing back the law and the instruction from God, is taking pretty long. I'd rather do this instead. I don't remember the exact length of the journey, but it was a lot shorter than 40 years. And they were walking. We have planes, trains, and automobiles now. <laughs> don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and miss out on where you're going. Or be ejected from the plane. Don't forget, remember, remind each other to know God and to rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord that we just finished rejoicing in, not just finished, but always, is at hand. At hand, that handshake. I didn't install it in the notes, it's just... It works. Um, and then there's a note in, in this Bible that says, 
or your gentleness, your reasonableness, or your gentleness. And many pastors and students of the word prefer the term gentleness because it's easier to understand or because they see it in other passages. Um, we're going to visit some of those passages. I kind of think reasonableness works, but we'll look at gentleness or equitability, fairness, a, a recognition of the Lord and his rules, but remembering not necessarily the words that he used to communicate them, but the heart that he communicated it from um, as we interact with those around us. I am venturing to Mark. No, I'm not. But in Mark 3, uh, verses 4 through 5, it's a story of Jesus healing a man. Um, and before he heals the man, he assesses the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who were holding the standard of the law, who knew that according to the written law that Moses brought down, said, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. You should rest. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. And Jesus grew with angst towards them for the hardness, it says, in their hearts. And their hardness is the reverse or the opposite of the gentleness that we are here told to let known, be made known to all, to everyone. Um, in 2 Timothy, give me a second as I find it. I invite you to find it also. It'll help you get to the destination a little easier. 2 Timothy, verse, chapter 2, sorry, verse 24 through 25. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. A reminder that Paul was rejoicing because his imprisonment was serving to let the people that were imprisoning or guarding him and, and holding him prisoner were knowing that he was there for Christ in the hopes that they too would know Christ. Despite the fight, despite, excuse me, the fact that they were the reason that he was in prison. He was hoping that through his imprisonment, they too would come to know God and rejoice in him. But I, I, I want to highlight that in this verse, it points out that gentleness is not a passivity. It's not a niceness, being agreeable or liked by people. Yes, be kind, meaning you treat them the way they ought to be treated, the way that you were treated by the God who has saved us. <laughs> but that there is a standard that we nonetheless hold to when we stand for. It says, correcting his opponents, but with gentleness. Then you have in, in the letter of Peter to, make, to always have a, an answer for the hope that you have in Christ, but with gentleness. It doesn't say don't do it. Doesn't, don't tell them why you hope in Christ. Don't tell them that what they're doing is wrong. But do it with gentleness. Back to Philippians. We're going to jump back to chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. It says, Complete my joy 
being of the same, same mind, having the same love, being in full, full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the even is there because that was the most shameful form of death. Not just he died, not just he was killed, but he was humiliated and hung on a cross for people to see this man who couldn't save himself, this man that was beaten, scorned for, for something that he supposedly did. It says, on his shoulders, he bore the wrath for our sins. And I tell you this, informing your knowledge of God, by which we rejoice. Know God, rejoice. And in that, make your gentleness known to all men, or to everyone. Um, later on in verse 14 through 16, again, Christ being our example, uh, verse 14 through 16, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, pressures, reasons that you might want to be anxious, among whom you shine as lights of the world. Some more scripture for you. I reminded you at the beginning of this, these are not my words, so I'm leaning heavily on the Bible. Galatians 5, verse 13, and then we'll visit verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 10. 5.13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Rejoice. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, make your gentleness known to everyone. Chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that especially means, yes, treat them with greater love, with greater affection, because they are your brothers and your sisters. They belong to your household in Christ, as we saw in Ephesians 3. But it also means that that means not just them, but everyone, even the ones you don't like, even the ones that aren't in the household of faith, the ones that refuse to come to church the ones that don't want to have that faith conversation at work or anywhere else, the ones that have ridiculed you for your faith. I'm going to jump again back to Philippians 2, verse 14 through 16. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation 
among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so we're charged to make our gentleness known to all, to everyone, but not just because we have to, not just because we've been told to, not just because we're stuck on the plane next to them, but we are to delight, as Paul did, in, in making it known to them with the hope of them knowing Christ, knowing that he is made glorified in that, knowing that he delights when any of us come to him and acknowledge our need and our dependence, our desperation for him. In the midst of a crooked generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, salt and light, Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, your good works, do the good works, so that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They look at what you do. They might hear something you speak from the pulpit, but the result ought to be that they glorify your Father in heaven, not you. And we ought to take delight when the credit passes us and goes to our Father in heaven. And it's something for us to practice because it's, it's very common to accept the compliment. Not just to say, oh, no, no thanks, I, it was nothing, but it wasn't me, it was something, it was good works, but because of my Father in heaven. I'm gentle towards you because of my Father in heaven. In the hope, again, that they then know our Father in heaven. Not only do they glorify him, but they rejoice in him, that they delight in him. Can you imagine a world that everyone rejoiced in our Father in heaven? That if they delighted in the very same thing that we delighted in, how much easier it would be to do life. Again, not grudgingly or out of compulsion, but with joy and gratitude for the grace that he has shown us, Romans 12.2, or Romans 12.1, sorry, in, in view of his mercies, off your body living sacrifice. That being gentle to somebody who you don't feel like deserves it, and they don't, but neither did you, neither do you. It's not because we deserved it, but because he saw fit to give it to us. And in acknowledgement of that, in thanksgiving for it, in delighting in it, the same word used to explain or to express rejoicing, we offer it to the next person beside us so that they too can know him and they can see how we've been changed. If you want to prove that God lives in you, <laughs> that God has saved you, that God is sanctifying you, making you different than the world around you, hit them with gentleness. When I say hit, that's figurative. <laughs> Let them experience gentleness when they don't deserve it, when they didn't do you a favor, when they might have in fact made your life seem harder, when they've given you a hard time. Make your gentleness known to them because you know God and are rejoicing in him. If they see you serving them, maybe with a little bit of a, but then a smile. Anybody remember this? Rusa. Breathe. And then serve them. Take your pause and remember God. Remember all that he has done for you. In that very moment, remember it. It's, it's God, did you hear what they said to me? Yeah, I heard it. But I heard what you said about me. 
or I heard what you said that wasn't directly about me, but in your saying it, it denied me or it offended me. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And then let your gentleness be known to everyone. And I don't think this is necessarily always a step-by-step -step thing that once you've begun the process, you remain in that process until we get to our destination. And, and then we don't have to be reminded because it's ingrained in our hearts and our minds that we want to delight in the Lord, that we find it easy to express gentleness to all because we will all eventually be expressing the same gentleness. And again, gentleness is not passivity. It's not over, it is not denying the wrongs, but acknowledging you've been wronged. And yet, I will serve you in my service to the Father that I know and rejoice in. And I'm gonna remind you that the point of making this gentleness known is again the the peace that follows or, or flows from our rejoicing in the Lord, all for the sake of getting to and the peace of God. That surpasses all understanding. We're going to dig into it. That guards your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ who said, my peace I give to you. The Jesus Christ that offers us rest. So, one, know God and rejoice. Two, make your gentleness known to others. And three, probably the thickest, maybe biggest, hardest obstacle to getting to that part they were so longing to get to, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, um, is, is to make your request known to God. And that, that might sound easy, but there's a little part that I've kind of neglected because I told you I don't, I don't think about the things that make me otherwise anxious. Because I'm commanded right there, and so are you. <laughs> Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Paul uses these extremes a lot. We started with always. Everyone, anything, but in everything, let your requests, and I think we could venture to say all your requests, be made known to God, who is the God of all, of all the everythings, the nothings. It all belongs to him. He's in charge and control. We started with that. And because he oversees it all, we can, in all things, Rejoice. We can in all things give thanksgiving. We can in all things and to everyone be gentle. And we can in all things and ought to in all things, need to in all things, all things. <laughs> By prayer and supplication, make our request known to God. And in nothing be anxious. Don't be anxious. I have it in my notes with a question mark. Sounds impossible. 
not just to not be anxious, but in everything. But there's not presented here, at least, an exception to when we have permission to be anxious. There are other expressions of the term in, in this very same letter that speak about caring for somebody, but there are differences. Um, the difference being the way that it's used is, is this anxious is, is a hopelessness. It's a, a state of being, not just a, a care, concern, a thought. It's a persisting recognition or, or thought, again, the deceitfulness of sin, the thought that there's no hope, that there's no solving this problem, that there is no way that you could possibly be gentle to that person. And, and the irony or, or the challenge that it's that person that some of us might find it easy to, to water our plant and to dust it with a cute Kleenex or maybe a brush that we bought specially for it, pet our puppy, groom his hair, feed him, walk him. But that person, <laughs> that person that has words and feelings like me, that person made in the image and the likeness of God that I don't see the image and likeness of God on them because I'm not looking hard enough. But that person, be gentle to that person. And that causes many of us, me sometimes, when I'm not remembering, anxiety. And he tells us to be not anxious because our anxiousness expresses the reality that we might not believe God in that moment. And faith is believing God, acting like what he said is true, accepting the grace that he has offered us, and walking in the mission that he's charged to us. Again, be not anxious in anything, question mark. <laughs> and again, the one writing this letter is in a pressured situation writing to people that he warns of pressures that will come to them and that they may be experiencing. They have problems outside of the church. They have problems within their own church. And then they have internal at-home, at-work problems. Um, at the start of his letter, chapter 1, verse 29, he acknowledges the pressures. Verse... 29 chapter 1 it says for it has been granted to you granted to you that for the sake of Christ again the mindset it's, it's for Christ that we rejoice in that you should not only believe in him not only have faith in him and, and believe that God raised him from the dead giving him all power and authority in his hands but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have, but always rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say it there, but he says it later in chapter 4. In acknowledgement of the suffering that they've seen in him, and he tells them it's coming your way if it's not already there. And this is the good news of Scripture. 
that we too will suffer. Why is it good news? The difference is we're suffering for Christ, with the hope of Christ, that as we suffer for him and identify with him the way that he suffered for us in ways that go beyond anything that we could possibly suffer, especially knowing that he was free of guilt or charge, or not of charge, they charged him for things that he was not guilty of, suffered. And, and Paul invites us to rejoice in the fact that that makes us more like the Christ who died for us, the Christ who has saved us, the Christ who is the Lord. And to think <laughs> that the Lord who is in charge, that's what the Lord means, your landlord, if you have one, owns the property that you live in, that you pay them rent for living in their property, that you, according to the rules, or by breach of your lease, you get put out of their property, abide by the rules that they have set forth. And when you think of God, recognize that he's the Lord, he is indeed the landlord. What land? All, there's the word again, all the earth and all therein. Psalm 24, 1, belong to God. Not just the earth, not just the land, but all the people therein belong to God. The cattle on a thousand hills, that puppy that you might prefer to be gentle to, also belongs to God. It's your breath in our lungs. That belongs to God. He sometimes allows us to use it in ways that don't acknowledge that it's not ours. Or he sometimes allows us to, to do things that neglect him. Again, that, that verse in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he ra God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If, if you confess that he is Lord, you'll be saved. But whether or not you confess it does not change the fact, the reality that he is already Lord. If you live in that landlord's property, that is the landlord's house. Just because you choose to ignore the landlord, maybe not answer the calls, maybe throw out the mail, the house is still theirs. You have a guest that comes in and the guest doesn't know your landlord, never met your landlord, hasn't seen your landlord. The landlord's still there, still his property or her property. What's the point we're making? <laughs> the point, I'm going to go back to the verse. It says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should suffer, should, should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And so the point we're making in the Lord owning it all is the fact that we already suffer. And, and when the earth is made new and there is a new heaven and a new earth, there will be more suffering, but not for those who have in this life suffered for Christ and held on to Christ because he will save, deliver them, and, and give them raised and glorified bodies like the one he has now, seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And some of that is now. But, but those that are not in Christ, those that don't claim the Lord, they suffer too. And, and maybe not immediately the way that sometimes we might hope they, they do, and unfortunately, but they too will suffer. And the difference is that they do not have the hope of being delivered and saved ultimately and eternally in Christ. And so we rejoice in having God, in having our salvation, the hope of glory. 
And I have a list in front of me, but I'm looking at the time, I have a list in front of me of the problems and the pressures that might cause us anxiety, the things that we could use to describe the sufferings that we face in this life. But as I just said, we don't have time. And we don't need the time because you're living life too. And you've experienced many of those pressures and are probably dealing with some of them as you sit right there right now if you're distracted and not remembering to rejoice in the Lord. And that's why I'm standing here to remind you, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Be not anxious for anything, but in everything, in all things, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And you will have requests. And, and the thing is, is as believers in Christ, we, we ought to have requests. As we go and be gentle with people, we're going to face trouble. We're going to face a hard time obeying. We're going to receive bad news regarding whether it be our health, our finances, our jobs, difficult people to work with. There are pressures. There are invitations, again, to be anxious. But we don't have to be anxious. And in fact, we are instructed here not to be anxious. But what do we do instead? There are practical and actionable things that we can do. We can journal, we can exercise, we can plan, and maybe get a better grip on things. But in the end, it still belongs to God, and he's still sovereign, and we are instructed instead to, not instead, but instead of being anxious, and maybe before we go and journal and exercise and all those other things that physically improve our, our state or our mental state, is to, to take those things to him and say, God, I'm dealing with these pressures. He knows that, again, because it's all his. But the, one, the miracle of the fact that God invites you to boldly come to his throne of grace, to receive the mercy and the grace that you, you need, to receive help in your time of need. When's your time of need? Always. In all things, in everything. But he's there to, to, to provide you the way of escape. And our going to him is our acknowledgement of that. It doesn't change that he's already there able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. It doesn't change that now he knows something new about us. It changes our perspective. Again, that, that we know God first and, and rejoice. And then we make our gentleness known to all men. And we are here being mindful of our audience that, that one, we make our gentleness known to all men, but we make our requests, our anxieties, our hardships, the hard time that we're having serving the people that we've just been gentle to, we let that be known to God. We often call it venting. Start with God first. Let him have all of it. Whatever else he leaves for you, go take that to somebody else. But start with him first, and it will change the conversation you have afterward. As he reminds you of the reasons that you have to rejoice in him. And here's the cool part. And in addition to letting your request be made known, your supplications with thanksgiving, for those of you looking for a thanksgiving message, there it is, with thanksgiving. <laughs> it's hard to focus on your anxieties when you have a heart of gratitude. And again, that's not based on emotion. It's based on the acknowledgment of all that God has already done for you, that he has already 
saved me. Before It says in Ephesians 3, before the beginning, the creation of the world, he chose me and predestined me for adoption to sonship. That before we got started, he set it up so that I am saved. It requires me not being anxious. It requires me remembering and rejoicing in that and confessing with my mouth. But all those things do is allow me to receive the gift that's already there. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift, free gift of God is salvation, eternal life to all those who believe, to all those who will unwrap it. It's, it's there, just receive it and, and then live like it. And how do we live like it? By knowing God, by making our gentleness known, and by not being anxious because we don't have to, but making our request known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Please put your tray tables up. Your seats in their upright position. We're coming in for a landing. The peace of God, our destination, our rest. Arriving at the place that we've just endured a journey to get to. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And, and again, this is just a shadow of the things to come, but here and now, the peace of God, that I'm, I'm going away, but I leave my peace with you. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding, regardless of how well you can think it, how well you can map it out, figure it out, plan it. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart will guard your feelings, the way you think, your emotions, what, what happens when that person ticks you off, what happens when your mother says, no, you can't have any more ice cream, what happens when she says it's time to go, will guard your heart, your emotions, your feelings, and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then we stay there. I'm going to read the next verses and, and we'll wrap it up. But our goal is that peace. And then the, the next verse tells us to, he's going to verse 8 now. It says, finally, kind of like the preacher who said 45 minutes ago he was, he was finished, because Paul begins chapter 3 with finally, but he wasn't finished. Finally, in chapter 4, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And that's a long list, but they all basically say, whatever is like Christ. Think about these things, not your anxieties, not the pressures, but think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And not the peace of God, but it says, and the God of peace, the one who gave you the peace that surpasses all understanding and guards your hearts and minds will be with you. Rest. Know God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Make your gentleness known to everyone. Make your requests known with all the anxieties that come with them, with a heart of thanksgiving, not God you owe me, God you, you sent me here and I'm upset. Yeah, if, if you have that, you, you take it there, but make sure that when you leave, you remember <laughs> with gratitude. And, and then the promise of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Welcome to the peace and the rest of God. Thank you for flying with us. Father God, we thank you for your peace. We thank you, Lord, for welcoming us, welcoming us into your presence. Your spirit, Lord, leads us in the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, completeness of joy, peace with joy. And at your right hand are pleasures, not just until this world ends, but pleasures forevermore in this life and the life to come. God, I pray that you help us to rest, that you help us to be intentional about our rest, intentional, Lord God, making habits and plans and, and means of which we will know you and rejoice in you, in which we will seek with your strength, because there's no other way to be gentle to others, Lord God. We need your spirit. We need, we need you, Lord God, in order to be gentle to the people that give us every reason not to be. We need you and, and the memory of you and all that you have done. We need your reminders, Lord God, that we be not anxious for anything, despite the many reasons we could possibly list if we thought about it. But Lord God, we choose to think about you and those things that are true, noble, pure, excellent, and worthy of thought by the reminder of your spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth. And we thank you with, with thanksgiving. And we offer this in, in, in prayer, uh, this prayer with, with supplication, God, and thanksgiving, that your peace that surpasses everything that we could think about understand or plan even when we don't understand it we can't explain it that your peace guards our hearts and minds it protects our hearts and minds and ultimately it protects us lord god from damnation lord god from suffering god without you we'd rather suffer with you than without you knowing god that those are the only options that that there will be hard times in this life but we look forward lord god to the life to come where there is no suffering where there are no tears cried, where there is no concern or worry about the hardships of the journey, there is no turbulence, Lord God, but there is nothing but you. And those, Lord God, that are in you. We thank you, God, for the reminder that we are your church, the fullness of him who fills all things in every way, Lord God, that where we are, there also is to be Christ, that the world, Lord God, will see him through the light that we show in our gentleness, in our speech, in our thinking, in our actions, Lord God. May we first know you, Lord God, and our knowledge of you uh, inform our knowledge of, of who you have made us to be. May our knowledge of you, Lord God, cause us to praise you. May our knowledge of you, God, create in us a desire and a delight, Lord God, to see others come to know you also, that you may be glorified. I thank you, God, for getting me to the end of this sermon. <laughs> and I pray, Lord God, that these people have heard not just me, but they have heard your word, that your seed, Lord God, is, is planted in their hearts and they will allow your peace to guard and protect that heart, as well as the seed that it harbors, Lord God, and that you will 
nourish it, Lord God, that you will bring fruit out of it, Lord God. May we bask in your presence, Lord God, not just in this atmosphere, in this environment, in this mood, but as we go out into the very harsh reality of life, may we bask in your presence despite the life that surrounds us, Lord God. And may we rest. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.